All right, good morning. Thank you so much for the beautiful music. Could you come to my house at about 6 a.m. and just play until we start? Because that would be a lot more calm than what I experience. And thank you so much for the beautiful prayer. I really appreciate that. And I appreciated that she mentioned that we are here to study and learn together. Um, sisters, I have been excited about this lesson today because I'm always excited, but I've been especially excited because... Um, of the invitation I gave and then the warning I gave last week of the two options you would have today. I'm hoping you're not taking me up on talking about my dating life. Um, but I've been really excited to hear about what you have been thinking and pondering and learning and searching, to use Ella Bednar's term, out of the Book of Mormon specifically on their topic for today, which is Even As I Am. Uh, this quote from President Oaks came to mind from October 2000. He said, in contrast to the institutions of the world, which teach us to know something, the gospel of Jesus Christ challenges us to become something. Um, so I wanted to just quickly give a, um, so I guess let me outline for today our, our proposed agenda, my proposed agenda. I wanted to quickly outline the genesis of that phrase, even as I am, which I think you're all familiar with, building off the quote of a President Oaks that I just read. And then I want to invite you to come here to that stand and share what you have learned over the past three weeks, what you have pondered, what you have discovered, what you have felt inspired with, whether it be a verse, a story, a theme, a principle, whatever it may be in relationship to that topic. Uh, and as the sisters come and share, because there will be many, I mean, we have seats up here for all of you, so feel free. Um, I want us all well, let me explain that in a, well, yeah. I want us all to actually be listening as these different points are made for what the themes are. I want you to listen for overarching themes. Could you categorize or compile what's being said into a few themes of what does the Book of Mormon teach us about Jesus Christ's invitation to the Nephites, specifically to the 12, to be even as he is? And so turning to 3 Nephi 27, that of course is the exact context of this particular phrase that, that is for us summarizing an entire theme, even as he is, even as I am. You'll see in 27:21 he, he says, this is my gospel. You know the things that you must do, for the works which you have seen me do, that shall ye also do. For that which you have seen me do, even that shall you do. So he repeats himself, that we are to do as he does. Therefore, if ye do these things, blessed are ye, for ye shall be lifted up at the last day. It's that great primary song, do as I'm doing. Do as I'm doing. That is what he says. And then, of course, verse 27, scripture mastery when I was growing up. And the source of that phrase, our theme for today and know ye that ye shall be judges of this people, according to the judgment which I shall give unto you, which shall be just. Therefore I say unto you, what manner of men ought ye to be? But, uh, sorry, therefore what manner of men ought ye to be? Verily I say unto you, even as I am. That is the invitation. Be ye perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven, or I am perfect. Third Nephi 12, 48. 
So with that as an introduction, his invitation to his disciples, the 12, to be even as he is, I open it up to you. What did you learn? What did you see? And again, as, as, you sh- as sisters share, I invite all of us to consider what are the overarching themes. So if you would mind, if you, if you don't want to come to the front, you can stand and we'll bring a mic to you. But just wait till the mic gets to you. But otherwise, could I just, um, who was willing to come to the front? Yes, come on up, keep, who else? Betsy Nagel, good. Who else? Come on up, who else? This is the price is right, come on up. Who else we got? Drew, come. Who else? You don't, I'm not Bob Barker. He is much more classy. Who else? I need some more, sisters. I don't have a lot of dates to tell you about. I know you have, I'm gonna stand here awkwardly with my hand in the air until someone volunteers. Yes. Who else? One, two, three, four, five. Seven is the perfect number, so we're going at least there. Yes. Okay, we might look for more. You think about it. But we're going to go right down the line and then here and there. Okay, thanks so much. Sunday in church, uh, the girl giving the opening prayer said, we are grateful to be able to gather here together. And that word gather just jumped out at me because we had a beautiful lesson on scattering and gathering. And ever since then, I've been thinking about that, watching President Nelson go around the world gathering people, um, the missionaries gathering, us being able to gather here together to study the word of the Lord, gathering for conferences, so many ways that we gather and gathering uh, in our temple work, being able to gather the names and to work on both sides of the veil to help bring about the Lord's purposes. And uh, sometimes a word will just jump out at us, you know. Sometimes in the morning I'll just open scriptures and there'll be three or four words and I can think about them during the day and the power of the word. And uh, so I'm grateful for that theme that she introduced us to. I'm grateful for another experience I had about a year ago. It was at Christmas time. We were visiting some relatives in California, and it was almost New Year's, so I thought, what do I need to focus on this year for a goal or a theme and give emphasis to? And I picked up a book off the bookshelf at my niece's home, and it was by President Nelson. Well, it was a few years ago, so it wasn't President Elder Nelson at the time. And I opened it to the third chapter, and it said, how to build a monumental life. And so that got, caught my attention. And as I read it, he said, I want to pick, take the theme of the song, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. And he built on three themes, I'll go, I'll do, and I'll be. And as I thought about that all year long, those words jumped out at me in the scriptures. And the things that I did, such as I'll go to the temple, I'll do the work for my ancestors, I'll be an instrument in the hands of the Lord. And I've loved thinking about this. And uh, the uh, and last week we studied chapter 27, and I was glad Rebecca referred to it again this morning because that, that was what was on my mind and what I've been doing. And uh, last week when we studied chapter 27, the Lord 
says to be even as I am, and then he, 10 times in that chapter, he uses the word do. But the verse that she just read to you uses that five times in one verse. And you know, the Lord often repeats scriptures. There'll be a word, and then the next verse, there'll be that same word repeated, because it reemphasizes it in our lives. But the one verse that has five do's in it, it's verse 21 of chapter 27 of Nephi. And it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is my gospel. And you know the things that ye must do in my church. For the works which ye have seen me do, that shall ye also do. For that which we have seen me do, even that shall ye do. And I think as we come to conference and hear the words of our wonderful living prophets and the instructions they give us, we'll know what we should do. I loved... Uh, <laughs> I read once about the Savior. He said, be even as I am. And uh, he had threefold purpose. It was first to come and minister to his people, which we've heard this a lot lately. He came to live, give a message and to fulfill his mission. And on a smaller scale, that's what our, our purpose is, to uh, minister to others, give a message, maybe even by the light we share, or being around others, and then to fulfill the mission, and we each have a unique mission to fill, and we can do that with the guidance of the Spirit. And so, uh, the, uh, I'm just grateful that we have the power of the Word, that we can go forward, and that we can go and do the work of the Lord, and uh, I'm grateful for that, that they bring this to our attention, the themes and the words uh, of the Savior so that we might know what we can do. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. In addition to trying to keep up with the Book of Mormon reading and the uh, Come Follow Me, as my grandsons uh, call it, the CFM, um, program and uh, our regular scripture study. I've had occasion in the last few weeks to spend a great amount of time uh, reviewing the Living Christ document. And so trying to put all these things together, we've done the in chapter 27 the Beatitudes in, in the Book of Mormon and then the Beatitudes in, in Matthew and the Beatitudes in Luke. Uh, the, the conclusion of all of those is be therefore perfect. And like you, I have sat through a lot of Sunday school classes that try and explain how we're supposed to be perfect. It means be complete, or it means if you do all these things that are explained, that's the way to become perfect. Um, I pulled out the, um, well, in the living Christ, the phrase that jumps out at me often is, he went about doing good. So as I'm doing the Come Follow Me book and the Nephi, uh, I wanted to see what the New English translation of that be therefore perfect sec uh, verse was. And this is what it says. There must be no limit to your goodness, as your heavenly Father's goodness knows no bounds. In other words, be like him, be as he is, go about doing good. And in the Luke um, uh, section uh, that we were to read, where it talks about, by the fruits ye shall know them, the, an evil, tr evil 
fruit comes from an evil tree and so on, the, the New English says, a good man produces good from the store of good within himself. And so I've thought a lot about it, being as he is, is there enough good resting in me, in my soul, that when I am frustrated or tired or discouraged, that there is still enough good within me that I can project his way of responding to others, that I can go about doing good, doing, as we just were taught, that I can go about doing good even when things are uh, difficult, even when I am not perfect. Um, I do know that his way is the path that leads to happiness in this life, and it leads to eternal life in the world to come. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When we got this challenge um, to that even as I am, I had just been reading this book. Um, it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And I loved it. It was written by a Christian minister who also owned and managed a sheep ranch. And I never realized how fascinating sheep are. I just was really glued to this book until I finished it. Um, also, my brother raises a few little sheep as pets, and so I, they're kind of close to my heart. Um, but it made me, made me think about the pattern of Christ being referred to as a shepherd all through the scriptures. In every, every scripture we have in the Old Testament, it's David who wrote that, Psalm 23, and he wrote it from the point of view of the sheep and talks about how um, the shepherd takes such good care of him. And in the New Testament, there's so many references to Christ being the shepherd to um, the house of Israel. And um, then I love in the Book of Mormon in 3 Nephi 18.31, he says, Behold, I know my sheep, and they are numbered. Um, in this little book, um, this real live shepherd um, explains his sheep, and he said, sheep are really interesting, they're really high-strung creatures. And he said, um, it's really easy to set them off on a stampede or um, have them just um, be super scared of just a noise in the bushes or anything like that. And so he said, the goal as a shepherd is to have these sheep so satisfied that they lie down in comfort. And in order for that to happen, four things have to be done by the shepherd. He has to make sure, first of all, that they're free of all fear. Number two, he has to make sure that they're free from flies and other pests. The third thing is he has to make sure that they're free of friction. And the fourth thing is that um, they need to be free of hunger. And that made me think of how um, Christ, as our shepherd, makes sure that um, we should have no fear in our lives because we can hang on to him, that um, he can free us from the little things that irritate us in our lives that um, cause friction in our homes and in our um, daily lives, and how he gives us spiritual food and nourishes us spiritually so we are free from hunger. And then the last thing, um, we had this greatest 
Relief Society lesson um, a couple of weeks ago where our teacher talked about Peter, how um, he started out, his career was as a fisherman, and then the Lord came to him and called him to be a fisher of men. And then at the very end, right before Christ left them, he called Peter to be a shepherd. And I thought that was so interesting that um, you, it's a progression and Peter made it to be such an effective shepherd. Um, I thought about Ammon too, how he wanted so badly to go to the Lamanites and teach them. And isn't it interesting that first of all, he became a shepherd to the king and that was the way that opened the door to the hearts of those Lamanites. Um, I'm so grateful for my shepherd, our Savior Jesus Christ, and I hope that I can be a shepherd in ministering to the people in my life who need it, to my ministering sisters, and um, especially to my family, that I can try to be like Christ in the way that I love and teach. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Wow, such all good thoughts. I hope I can make mine clear. Okay. Um, I like when he says, even as I am, that he's a son of God. And um, it just astounds me how Satan loves to lie to us and how when he came to the Savior, when he was being tempted and said, if thou be the son of God, you know, he just kept repeating that. And, you know, it's so easy for us to believe that lie that Satan constantly tells us. I don't know if he, maybe you don't have this, but I struggle all the time with, you know, not being good enough or not feeling adequate or not realizing who I am. And, you know, as Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we are also divine as well. And um, so I've been doing that today, you know, or recently. I am a daughter of God, and I look in the mirror and I says, "I am a daughter of God, and I love He love and He loves me, and I love Him." And it's so funny how, as we look at that and say that over and over in our minds, the Spirit can come and witness to us that that's truth. And I hope that no one will listen to Satan's lies. And I love the elder, I believe it was Renlin, in last general conference talked about how Satan, if someone falls down, he's going to kick him and scream him and yell at him. And I hope that we can realize that just like Jesus Christ is divine, we are as well, and we are worth something divine. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I've been thinking about light lately. I had an interesting experience a couple weeks ago. Um, I have big windows in the front of my house that face east, and as I was saying my morning prayers, my back was to the windows and it was the time that the the light the sunshine came in and i could feel the warmth of the sunshine on my back um, about mid prayer and it was warming physically and it was always just it was so comforting to my heart as well and when becca gave us this challenge i thought well um, christ is the light of the world his, the light of Christ lightens every person in the world, and we are also commanded to let our light shine, to not put our light on a, on, under a bushel, but on a candlestick where it can 
shine and and affect all those around us and we're told that the worth of the souls the worth of souls is great in the sight of God and I think we can be as he is by lighting all those around us and letting our light shine in, in many ways with everyone we come in contact with especially with our families and those who are close to us um, I hope that we can find ways to truly illuminate those around us. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I've noticed that one way we can be even as Christ is, is to not be in too much of a hurry so that we can't stop and minister to people. And I noticed that in chapter 17, 3 Nephi 17, Jesus told them he was on his way to see the Father and to minister to the tribes of Israel, but then he saw that they needed him to stay. So he changed his plan and he took time with them and he ministered to them. And it reminded me, um, this morning as a family we read in Mark 5, the story of the woman who reached out and touched Jesus's robe and she was instantly healed of her issue of blood. And we realized that when that happened, he was in a hurry. He was on his way with this crowd to try to save the daughter of Jairus from dying. And yet he stopped, he had all these people around him, but he stopped and he looked at this woman and he called her daughter. Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. And I know that um, now Jesus is not bound by time, but I still feel that he takes time and special attention for each of us, even though he has so many people to minister to. And I think that's a way that we can emulate him because um, we're all busy. Um, this is my first year with all my kids in school all day, and I thought I'd have these leisurely days of you know, endless time to clean all my closets out. And there were a couple days like that, but most days I run around and then it's 2.45 and the junior high is out. So we're all busy, but I think um, we can follow Jesus and, and being willing to stop sometimes and slow down and take time with one person who we could have an impact on. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I hope I don't detract from the spirit, but I, I got up here and then I leaned over to Carrie and said, what are we doing? Um, I sometimes uh, volunteer for things that I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm really grateful for this because this has been on my mind quite a bit lately. I've had the opportunity to speak in some ward conferences and the thing that I've been focusing on is um, yielding yourself unto Christ. And after I you know, give my little talk, it's made me think, how am I doing that? How can I yield myself into Christ and become like Christ? And yesterday when I was teaching Sunday school, I had, we had the chance to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And um, this uh, quote from Harold B. Lee really stuck out to me because sometimes it feels overwhelming to try to be like Christ. Um, we're imperfect, right? I, I go home, I snap at my kids, or I snap at somebody else, or I make a funny joke that's a little off, or, you know, there's just a lot of things that I'm not like Christ. I'm loud, usually. He seemed very calm and maybe not quiet. I'm sure he wasn't quiet, but you know what I mean. I don't seem like Christ in that way. But um, Harold really talks about the Beatitudes as a recipe for righteousness, 
And the reason I love this is because Christ is speaking to his apostles in this. And uh, because we get the benefit, we also get the benefit of this teaching. He was speaking in sort of a smaller, to a smaller multitude of people who had taken on covenants. And now, because we have these records, we get to learn from this. If you can only imagine sitting there with Christ and him speaking to you personally. Um, President uh, Harold Bealey talks about this uh, being these, having the Beatitudes being like a recipe for our life and it being in, in incremental steps. It says, the poor in spirit who come into Christ is kind of the first step. So when I'm thinking about we're thinking about ways to yield ourselves unto Christ or to become like Christ, to become poor in spirit and to come unto Christ. The, ne the next step in the celestial direction is to mourn, especially for our sins. For godly sor sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. One then becomes meek and begins to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I love this. First we become poor in spirit. Then we mourn. We mourn for our sins and we mourn for those around us. Then we, be, then we can become meek, and a natural thing is to then be hunger and thirst for righteousness. A natural sequel is a greater inclination to be merciful, an increased desire to become pure in heart, and a stronger desire to be a peacemaker. But even the proper and inspired use of our moral agency has a price indicated in the next beatitude. And blessed are all they who are persecuted for my name's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we climb the steps outlined in the Beatitudes, we soon humbly recognize that our lives are on a higher plane. I love this because I think it's like growth. You know, we can kind of, we're going to come this, and from there we become this. And hopefully, little by little, we can become more like Christ. I'm grateful for the opportunity to try to yield myself into Christ and to try to incrementally become more and more like Christ. I hope and pray every day that I look at you women that I know and the women in my lives and I see how many of you are so Christ-like and I hope that one day I can be there and just through through work. And I think part of it is just doing. Somebody mentioned this. Um, I've mentioned before I'm an art teacher and I've told people many times you will never ever 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 learn how to draw unless you draw. So you will never, ever, ever, ever become like Christ unless you do, unless you practice. And I hope and pray that I can do this. I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you so much. I loved all of those thoughts. Did you love all those thoughts too? Good. Um, as for those, well, for everyone, because everyone listened at least at one point, did you, in one or two words, were there any themes that stuck out to you, or as you think about the Book of Mormon in whole, that relate to this idea of even as I am? We won't use the mics. You can just shout them out, because I just want a word or two. Is there anything? Do. Do showed up a couple of times that we have to do as he did, as he invited. Anything else that stuck out to you? Become. Yes. And going back. Oh, to our quote from President Oaks, that idea that he wants us to become as he is. That's the invitation. Do become. In fact, that's that great story about the lyric of what song? I am a child of God. Teach me all that I must know versus do so that we can be, right? Um, anything else? Sacrifice, yes. And I also, along with that, saw a theme of service, that idea of going about doing good, um, the idea of slowing down so that we can minister to others. 
Uh, any others? Perfection. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So I invite you to consider, to continue those. Um, we actually referred to a bunch of different sections of the Book of Mormon. Sometimes they did it simply in theme or in, in word without referencing the verse. But 3 Nephi 27, 21 talked about shepherds, and 2 Nephi 31 talked about Ammon um, as a true under-shepherd, if you will, from that hymn. Talked about being the light. Jesus Christ called himself that in 3 Nephi 11, that we should be a light. That is in the Sermon on the Mount, 3 Nephi 12. And that's a light to those around us, to slow down and minister. That's 3 Nephi 17, to yield ourselves to Christ. Shows up in Helaman 13 and, Mor and Mosiah 3, and then the Beatitudes, 3 Nephi 12 and others. The idea that we are children of God is replete, of course, throughout all of scripture. So I appreciate so much your thoughts. Um, and I wanted to build off, especially those last couple of thoughts that were said, and talk about uh, and continue. What does the Book of Mormon teach about being even as I am? I hope that that invitation um, spurred something in you this week. I know I talked to one sister in my ward who said that just the thought of having that in the back of the mind brought up things that maybe she wouldn't have noticed otherwise in the Book of Mormon on that topic. And I also want to point out, I loved how many of the comments actually referred to things that were from the curriculum, Come Follow Me. What example that you in, in your lives and in your families are participating in that program as it showed up over and over again. I don't know if you notice how many times those for that first section of the New Testament was mentioned. And what a great example of expounding all things in one as you brought that and the living Christ and all these different things into one. So I appreciate that. I hope you will continue to practice um, that way of studying as I need to as well. But I hope you found it edifying. Um, so I want to take the last half hour or so that we have. I've recently learned that the clock at which I look is slightly off. So now I've got like, hey, two extra minutes that I thought I didn't have, which means I'll still be going over because that's how it goes. But I'm really excited about those two minutes. Um, but I wanted to talk uh, or add some thoughts that I had on how does the Book of Mormon, what does the Book of Mormon teach about being as I am? My first thought or one of my thoughts is that the Book of Mormon teaches us who Christ is. We cannot be like him if we don't know who he is. And the Book of Mormon has as one of its many functions the purpose of revealing Christ and who he is. It is done throughout the book. It's done from the very first to the very end as you see Christ interact with the Nephites and with the Jaredites, with his people over time, as you see um, his justice and his mercy, his deliverance, his interaction, his, his intercession with his people, as we learn about his atonement from beautiful passages of scripture throughout the Book of Mormon. There are so many places, uh, as you look at Jacob 5 and his interaction and intercession with the Lord of the vineyard and with the servants and with the fruit, so many places that the Book of Mormon reveals Christ to us and who he is. Without knowing who he is, of course, we cannot become like him. So that, in sense, is step number one, to learn who he is. And the Book of Mormon teaches us that. If you look through the Book of Mormon, for me, one of the places where the needle on the radar of teaching us who Christ is just goes sky high, of course, is in 3 Nephi. Like in the New Testament, in 3 Nephi, we have this, you know, words direct from the Savior's life. We have 
in this case, his post-mortal ministry, but we have him directly on the earth interacting, and we have some words directly from his mouth as he interacts with the people there. Um, he ha we have so some examples from the third Nephi that I saw that reveal to us who Christ is. His own introduction of, of himself in third Nephi chapter 11, verses 10 and 11. He introduces himself as he appears to the Nephites in, that, in the new world. And he says that, um, he, I am Jesus Christ. I am the light and the life of the world. I have drunk out of the bitter cup which the Father hath given me. I have glorified the Father in taking upon me the sins of the world. I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. He is teaching us in that. In those, it's like 54 words, 50-something words. That is his chosen introduction of who he is. We see there his willingness to still receive the people, right, as he speaks to them right after the destruction. Come unto me, I will still gather you, as a hen gathers her chicks. We see at the same time as that mercy, his destruction of the wicked and his application of justice, that he believes by truth and by justice. And, and, and we see that. We see his deference to the Father, his willingness to share power as he gives it to the Nephite disciples, his his. Um, re rejection of dissension and contention, that those are not who he is. We see his clarity on truth. He, he speaks truth as it is, and he does not vary as he teaches them. We saw, and as we heard, that in the Sermon on the Mount, which was called a blueprint by Harold B. Lee of the Savior's character, he outlines attributes of who he is. We see he is a personal God as he blesses the people one by one and invites them to come to him and know him one by one, as he does with you and me. We see his compassion was mentioned as he delays his to-do list so that he can stop, so he can see, so he can heal, so he can be with um, the people. We see his discernment as he chooses and describes how in the past he, to reveal the portion of God's word that is meted out to every people with whom he speaks. We see as he describes this gathering and gathering and future gathering of Israel, that God will keep his promises, that he is true to his word, and on and on and on. Throughout the entire Book of Mormon, throughout Third Nephi, one of the ways that the Book of Mormon teaches us to be even as he is, is it teaches us who he is. And that's how we should be. With that as a background, the question now is how do we become as he is? For that, I have three different points I brought today. There are many, and you brought up different ones that I loved that'll be different and in some ways very much the same as some of the ones I will bring today. But I brought three today. My first one is only he. I borrowed this actually, phrase, this phrase in this sense from my mission president, only he. And that is to say, in our quest to live up to be therefore perfect, even as our Father in heaven, or he is perfect, in our quest to be even as he is, that only he can do it. I mean, this is probably, I don't know, this will be about 10, 15 verses from the Book of Mormon. Again, that idea of bringing from throughout the entire book to see what is being said. As I finished up President Nelson's challenge last December, and as I mentioned three weeks ago, took just a few minutes to flip through. This is one of the themes, as I was trying to see what is, now that I've got them all marked, what are the themes, what is the Book of Mormon teaching? This was one, at least for me, that only he, Alma 38, 9, there is no other way or means whereby man can be saved, only in and through Christ. Alma 21, 9, there could be no redemption, save it were through the death and sufferings of Christ. First Nephi 10, 
Wherefore, all mankind were in a lost and fallen state, and ever would be saved, they should rely on this Redeemer. Second Nephi 2, there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. Second Nephi 2, again, I know that thou art redeemed not because of thine own righteousness, because of the righteousness of thy Redeemer. Second Nephi 11, and my soul delighteth in proving unto my people that save Christ should come, all men must perish. Second Nephi 25, 20, I say unto you that as the Lord liveth, there is none other name given under heaven, save it be this Jesus Christ, whereby man can be saved. Second Nephi 25 again, uh, it is after, it is by grace that we are saved after all that we can do. Mosiah 5, 8, under this head ye are made free, and there is no other head whereby ye can be made free, and no other name given whereby salvation cometh. Mosiah 4, 8, and this is the means whereby salvation cometh, and there is none other salvation save this which has been spoken up. Neither are there any other conditions whereby man can be saved except the conditions which I have told you. Second Nephi 10, remember after you are reconciled to God, it is only in and through the grace of God that you are saved. Moroni 6, relying alone upon the merits of Christ, who is the author and finisher of their faith. And Second Nephi 31, 19 through 21, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. And now now behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way, and there is none other way, nor name given under heaven whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And this is the doctrine of Christ, and the only and true doctrine of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end. Amen. Holy, only, none other could he, can you see? It is only he who can make you holy. It is only he that can save. And so we rely wholly on him to make us holy. And when he says there is no other name, that includes yours. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. There is no other name by which we can be saved. And so thus, it is no surprise that in Alma 26, that Ammon glories in the Lord. He says, I do not boast in my own strength, because as Nephi said, cursed is he who puts his trust in the arm of flesh, nor in my own wisdom, but behold, my joy is full, yea, my heart is brim with joy, and I will rejoice in my God. Yea, I know that I am nothing, as to my strength, I am weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast in my, of my God, for in his strength, I can do all things. Only he, not on our own. Satan's lie is that we can, that we can somehow save ourselves, as he originally proposed, and that somehow um, we can be, make ourselves like God. To this end, he convinced the people in the Bible to try to build a tower to get to heaven on their own. And to this end, we read that in the fall, that in, um, this is 2 Nephi 9, I believe, um, that as he invites Eve, oh, sorry, I think it's 2 Nephi 2, that he invites Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit, his enticement is, in verse 18, ye shall be as God. Do you see? Do it yourself. Ye shall be as God. If you do this thing, if you do it. And that is the lie. There's a great video, by the way, by, uh, sponsored, I think, by the church. It's on a series called Hope Works. If you haven't seen this video, I really appreciate it. Um, it's, uh, it's on perfectionism, this idea that we can save ourselves, 
that somehow we believe that me plus more, if I just try harder and grit my teeth, I'll be even as he is. Me plus more, we believe, equals Christ-like. The Gospel of Christ, the Book of Mormon, teaches no, that only he can make you holy. And so it switches the equation around, that me plus Christ equals more. C.S. Lewis talked about the same thing. I couldn't find the reference, and I love it. I gotta find it. If anyone knows where it is, please tell me after. But he talks about how, in, you even see in the, in the natural world, how animals of a higher order reach down and incorporate those of a lower order. Or not just animals, sorry, but in the natural world. That you see animals, for example, reach down and incorporate grass into them, and thus the grass, the plant life, goes and becomes part of a higher order. And it's an analogy he uses to describe how we don't save ourselves, but rather that becoming, coming to a higher order requires that, that a higher being, in this sense Christ, reaches down, comes down to the earth, becomes mortal, and incorporates us into him, and thus we become a higher order. Or as Robert Browning put it, ah, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp. Or what's a heaven for? Look at that line for a minute. What does that mean? I had memorized it at my father's bidding long before I think I started to actually analyze it. What does it mean, ah, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp? Or what's a heaven for? Any thought? Any thoughts on what that means? I think it means grace. That heaven is out of man's reach. It is outside of his grasp, what he can attain on his own. But that heaven, powered by grace, takes us beyond our own natural grasp, to another reach. As the hymn says, it is Christ reaching my reaching. So then the question, if we are reaching for heaven, but we cannot, as the Book of Mormon has taught, reach it on our own, which Satan would like to, us to think we could, and be perfectionistic, and beat ourselves up, and not rely on him, then what are we reaching for? Are we, for heaven? For what we think we should be? For our own goals? As I considered that this week, I think no. I think we are reaching for him. Because only he, only he can save. Only he can exalt. Only he can ennoble. Only he can give peace and hope and life and happiness and joy and heaven and grace and forgiveness and every other good thing. Ether teaches us that all good things come from him. Only he. He has to save us. It is touching then to know, as I read recently, that in the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency, as they meet weekly in the temple, 
and I believe it's the first presidency, maybe all 15, I believe it's the first presidency, gets to choose what hymn they sing to begin that meeting every week, every Thursday morning, just downtown. Do you know what the most common hymn, over the, as you look at the minutes over the years, is? I need thee every hour. Only he. And they know it too. Only he can save. Only he can make us as he is. So what do we have to do? This is phrase number two. Just give up. I wrote this on the front of a book I would use in the mission. And it looks really depressing when you first see the phrase. You're like, oh, that's, that's not good. Um, but I hope by now you see that it's not, not at first blush it seems to be. But it is acknowledging that only he can save. And thus, I will yield to him. This example was already brought forth. In fact, there's the quote. Hope I can get it to go. About blueprints for our lives. That was referenced. But it's interesting to look at the Beatitudes in 3 Nephi 12, again, from the Book of Mormon. If you look at the left-hand column, which is all the attributes, and then the blessing, which is on the right, what, do the, what does the left hand have in common? This was actually taught in my Sunday school class as well. I walked in the room and I saw it on the board and I was like, well, that's funny because we're talking about them sisters in scripture. Um, so I love that. Um, what do the attributes on the left have in common? If you could put one word to them. Selfless. Any others? I love that. Christ-like, for sure. And that's where we get this blueprint idea, right? How about what are they not? Yeah, yeah, they're nothing sinful. They're internal, they're not external things. Humility. Surrender. Would you agree? All these things that have been said, the selflessness, the Christ-like, the humility, the surrender, all of these things rec recognize a dependence upon God. They are nothing about being powerful or talented or brave or strong, though God is all of those things. All of them are about meekness and surrender. And the blessings on the right, well, those are exaltation the kingdom of heaven, inheriting the earth, seeing God, children of God. And it, I saw this on Facebook, and I loved it. For those listening, a little stick man is holding his heart and saying, it's all I have. And Christ, looking back at him, says, it's all I want. That is our part. It is to surrender to him. In, in third Nephi, as Christ is, is appearing or about to appear to those Nephites after the destructions at his death, we see in third Nephi that he outlines a, a new law. Let me make sure I've got the right verse. Hold on. There it is. Third Nephi 9, 19. And you shall offer up to me no more the shedding of blood. Yet your sacrifices and your burnt offerings shall be done away, for I'll accept none of your sacrifices and your burnt offerings. And you shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And whosoever cometh to me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. That is what our part is. It is to yield 
our hearts to him. As it says in Helaman 13, it says that this sanctification and purification of that people came because of their yielding their hearts to God. We've talked about that before, the idea of surrender, that what he wants is to change our hearts, but that requires us to yield them to him, and he will take it from there. King Lamoni, or the father of King Lamoni, is a great example of this. In Alma 22:18, you remember that as king of the whole land, after hearing the teachings of Aaron and his brothers, it says he prostrates himself, if I remember correctly, and he prays unto a God that he has never known. And in that moment, yeah, he prostrates himself upon the earth and cried mightily, saying, O oh God, if there is a God and if thou art God, wilt thou make thyself known unto me, and I will give away all my sins to know thee. He requires us to sacrifice the animal in us, to yield our hearts, our desires, our preferences, our priorities to his. Does this mean then that we don't have to obey? We just have to kind of open our hearts and he's going to take it from there and everything's going to be fine? Of course not. Because if you are doing that, then you are not actually yielding. You are deceiving yourself, as Elder Lynn Robbins called it. You are lying to yourself by telling yourself you're one thing, but actually not being it in your hearts. God described this as with their lips they do honor me, but their hearts are far from me. Instead, in the book of Mosiah, chapter 5, how knoweth the master, a servant the master he has not served, and who is far from the thoughts and intents of his heart? In, Paul, in, in Romans 6, Paul says something similar. If we are saved grace by grace, then can we just sin? And he says, no, God forbid. For him who you list to obey, his you are. You become as who you serve. So of course our actions are required, but the Lord's higher law, as he taught in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout scripture, is that our actions are not enough. He also requires our hearts, DNC. The Lord requires the heart and a willing mind. If you look after the Beatitudes in 35 chapter 12, I did this comparison. If anyone wants it, you can come up and get it. After all, you can take a picture or something. But one time I took verses 21 to 45 and I put it into two columns. On one side I put the old law, as he described, you've heard it said, such and such. And on the other side, I put the new law. But I say unto you, and then he inserts the new law. And I considered the two different people that he's describing and how they were different. And as I looked at the person on the right, the higher law, for me, it was much more about what is inside, where is your intent, how we should be, our very nature. And that is what he is teaching, that our hearts are required. In Moroni chapter 7, the first few verses, it teaches that an evil tree and an evil fountain cannot produce good fruit or good water, and that a man being evil cannot do that which was good, because even if he prays, if he doesn't do it with real intent, that it will not profit him. Paul takes it to a whole new level in 1 Corinthians 13. When he says, though I give my my body to be burned, and I have not charity. I am nothing. It profiteth me nothing. I am as a tinkling symbol. That if less our hearts are in it, unless we're giving them over to him, it doesn't change us. And that is what he wants. He wants to change us. But he can only do it if we give him access. And so he says in the sermon at the temple in Nephi that all those who say unto him, Lord, Lord, have we not done many mighty works in thy name? And that have 
called him their Lord, will not be saved. And why? In the Sermon on the Temple, he says, because I have not known you. In the Bible, Joseph Smith changes his translation that ye have not known me. Our works are required. The Book of Mormon is replete with exhortations and examples of invitations to obey. And as you all know, you only get to Carnegie Hall by practicing. If I had a little more guts, I'd show you a video on YouTube by Alan Iverson, but I chose not to. But it's very funny, and it's about practice. But we have to practice. We have to practice. We have to do his work to become as he is. But he also needs our heart so that he can change us. So what do we have to do? We have to surrender. Second Nephi 4, Nephi's psalm, is a beautiful example of our imperfect selves being willing to surrender to him. You'll remember Nephi's lament, his wail, when he says, O wicked man that I am. O wretched man that I am. My heart soweth because of my flesh. Have you felt this way? My soul grieveth because of my iniquities. I am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice or feel peace in my life, my heart groaneth because of my sins. But then, with one word, he changes it. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. My God hath been my support. He hath led me. He hath filled me. He hath confounded my enemies. He hath heard my cry. He hath given me knowledge. Only he. Thus awake my soul. No longer droop in sin. Rejoice, O my heart, because only he. If you trust in him. And so he ends O oh Lord, I have trusted in thee, and I will trust in thee forever. So number one, only he can save. But number two, we have to give him access. Omni 126, it's one of my favorites, one of many. And it teaches the same thing. And now, my beloved brethren, I would that ye should become that I would that ye should come unto Christ, who is the Holy One of Israel, and partake of his salvation and the power of his redemption. Yea, come unto him and offer your whole souls as an offering unto him. And continue in fasting and praying, and enter endure to the end, and as the Lord liveth, ye will be saved. Offer your whole souls. Just give up. Give up your desires what you want. Give up your idea of how things are going to work out. Give up your idea of what work you should be doing. And tend the little spot that he has given to you today. Just give up. It is so hard. And yet in some ways it is so simple of an idea. And that brings us to our last. I'm actually going to go back. And that is one. So how do you just give up? How do you surrender? How do you yield? I know I'm not pulling from the Book of Mormon on this one, but this, as I considered this lesson, came to my mind repeatedly. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. Take 
my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Whose yoke, speaking of how we surrender, and also being one with Christ, whose yoke do we take upon us? His. Notice the scripture does not say, I will take your yoke upon me. What was the difference between those two ideas? Us taking his yoke upon us and him taking our yoke upon him. Is it the same? No. And and isn't that fascinating? That Christ is saying to us, and I've got to get off the PowerPoint for a sec because I apparently didn't print this out, this quote from Elder Holland. But he is saying to us, if you truly surrender, then you come and do my work. You come and you talk to, we counsel together, Alma 37, on what are our priorities, on what are my priorities. What are you going to do with our time, with our money, with our talents? How are you gonna take my yoke upon you? I don't know if I saw this talk. So I'm gonna have to paraphrase, I don't still have it up. And Elder Holland responds or continues in his talk, Broken Things to Men, so you can look up the actual quote. He says that Christ says, come take my yoke upon you. And then when you are walking with me and you're in my path and we are doing my work, then we can talk about where you're going and the struggles you face. And then we become one. Jacob 5 teaches the same, and this is a, a verse that can be taken several ways, but I, um, I love in Jacob 5, at the end of the, the parable of the, of the olive tree and the vineyard, that it says that as the master and his servants worked together to preserve unto them the natural fruit, that, quote, they became like unto one body, and their fruits were equal. You can talk about the fruits being like one body, You can also talk about the servants and their Lord as they work in his yoke, as they work in his work, as they do his will, as they listen to his voice and take his name upon him, that they become one, which is the purpose of the atonement or the at-one-ment. Now, there's a great idea that we don't have time for about what that oneness looks like, that we aren't all actually the same. Great quote by C.S. Lewis, if you'd like to see it afterwards, about how gloriously different are all the saints, and yet we are one in, in the things that make God God and the things that make us like him in our love of truth and our love of others. So I want to end with just a couple of scriptures out of, um, out of the Book of Mormon. I believe that one of the things, and well, it's taught in the epistle of John, that one of the things that makes God God, if we are going to be like him, and I've left this quote by Christofferson, Elder Christofferson on board if you want to read it as I'm flipping, that if we're going to be like him, we have to submit ourselves, and then we become one with him. That is what he prayed for when he was in the new world with the people of Nephi in, in 3519, that they may be one with us, in, with me, Father, as I am one with thou, with thee, that we may all be one together. That is even as I am. That is oneness. One of the things that makes God who he is, is his love. 
John wrote about it in his epistle. God is love. It was his one word description. And love for what? Definitely love for us, love for others, and love for truth. So ending with two scriptures. Speaking of love, Moroni 7.48, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that ye may be filled with this love, which he hath bestowed upon, again, bestowed only he, upon all who are true followers, just give up, yield, surrender, of his Son, Jesus Christ, that ye may become the sons of God, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This, that we may have this hope, that we may be purified as he is pure. And then Moroni's, fi- Moroni's final words in Moroni 10. And this, I want you to now listen for all of these, for all of these invitations, for all of these principles. Only he, just give up, and one. He says, yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if you shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace ye may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, ye can in no wise deny the power of God. I testify that in Christ, and only in him, is the power to make us holy as he is. But to do so, we have to wholly rely on him. Just give up, surrender, get in his yoke, and become one with him. I testify that he has the power to do this thing as we let him. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.